I'm Eddie Rowley, and you're listening to My Country Life, a podcast that takes you backstage and into the real lives of Ireland's country music kings and queens. Each podcast in this series features a country star opening up the doors to their past and taking us on their personal journey into the spotlight. Along the way, they reveal their highs and lows, happiness and heartaches, and their struggle to find success. Here we meet Father Brian Darcy, who, among other roles, has been chaplain to the world of Irish show business and a friend and confidant to our entertainers through the decades. Father Brian has had a remarkable and varied life, but in this two-part podcast, we focus on his experiences through the world of music, starting in the showband era back in the 1960s. This is part two of our interview with Father Brian, and here he tells how he first connected with the Irish and international entertainers. He recalls many amusing and poignant stories, from hanging out and praying with Johnny Cash and Chris Christopherson, to dealing with the aftermath of the horrific Miami massacre, and giving a young Daniel O'Donnell his first big interview at the Sunday World back in 1986. This is My Country Life, a Sunday World podcast. So you became friendly with with, with all these showbands. What did they think of this young priest who was kind of following them around? Was was like, but, a, but were you a fan? Were you I, seen as a fan? At the beginning, I wasn't even a priest. Okay, yes. I was a student. You were a student, we yeah. dressed up like a priest. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Which we had to do. Yeah. Um, so they knew that too. And a lot of them would have been, I was known as brother. Oh, because okay. they, they, I wasn't a priest, so I had to be a brother. Yeah. You know, that was there. So I was known as brother, the brother. The brother. And in fact, I was at university and I we had to take a name when we entered. And the name that I was given was Desmond Mary. You know, and Jim McCann, the great Jim McCann, was in the, the same singer. class as me at uni. Very bright, brilliant lad. And Jim McCann, to the day he died, never called me anything else, only Brother Desmond Mary. Because right. uh, yeah, yeah. that's how he knew me at university yeah. uh, at that stage together. Um, and then, that was before the Ludlows even, um, and the sea around us. Uh, so they did get to know me. And, and, and you know, I, 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 at that time I wasn't going into dance halls. I was only going into them at, in the hotel. So they, they knew I wasn't doing anything new news. Yeah. I was ordained in 69, came to Dublin in 1970. And every night from 1970 on, I got on my Honda 50 because I had no car uh, and went round. There was nine ballrooms in the centre of Dublin seven nights a week. Uh, at that time, you start the Irish Club, the National, the Tudor Rooms, the Ayern, the Town and Country Club, the Tara Club, uh, the Crystal, uh, the Olympic, uh, and, the, and the Television Club. You know, yeah. the, the, the one in East North Side. That's not counting Nace and Two and Bray. Uh, you know, yeah. the Arcadia was it? Yeah. The, the Arcadia, and then the, the, there was one in Woodlands. In Bray as well, so you, you know we had a fantastic. There was Dan, then there's Lawlers and Ace. There was all those, and there was an amazing amount of stuff. So I used to go to as many of them as I possibly could. So I literally became very well known myself and Lugs Brannigan, the famous policeman who kept law and order in Dublin. And that's his Jim Brannigan, great man, great great man. Took no nonsense. <laughs> no, he'd be a Jim, but he when people if there was around a dance hall and Jim came along. That it, was, it, nobody it ended straight away. Ended straight away. Every door they would make. Lugs is here. Lugs is here. Run That's like exactly hell. it. <laughs> and he and I used to have great, great chats at night. Um, I was, um, some of the halls we'd meet in, uh, about half one or two, and whichever hall we were in, we'd get a cup of tea and a sandwich in the band room. Uh, and then we'd go on our way home after that. But so we were, the two of us were, you know, it, it was it wasn't meant to be. But it's most people look at it now. Oh yeah, that's the state and the church. Yeah, it wasn't. It was two idiots on behalf of who liked music. You know, we weren't yeah. representing anything, just yeah. uh, ourselves. And and the people knew that. The people knew that. Um, I had a letter yesterday from a lady, uh, from a man, and he said. Um, when I, when I, when, um, when we were going out together, myself and my wife, I'm trying to remember it. Mm-hmm. When me and myself and my wife were going out together, we used to go to a lot of the ballrooms, 
Um, and uh, we used to see you there smoking your pipe. We never saw you dancing, but you were did everything right. Mm-hmm. But but we but you were always there smoking your pipe up near the band. Um, and we often talked to you. I'm sure you don't remember us. But one night we were in the air with Johnny McAvoy singing the last thing on my mind. And as we danced around past you, I asked my wife to marry me. I said, next Sunday we'll be 50 years married. I wonder, could you play Johnny McAvoy, The Last Thing on My Mind? Isn't that a lovely story? Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a lovely story. Yeah. So I haven't a clue yeah. who they are or what they are, yeah. but it, it's there. You know, and you made that, that connection. That connection, memory and so forth is there uh, of the whole thing. Um, uh, and so it, it, it's, that's the way it worked. And people would come to you and they say, yeah, can I go to confessions? And, and I, I'd say, yes, come into a corner here and we'd go to confessions. And these were all, these were not in the band. They were oh no, the punters, yeah, uh, the punters. But many, oh, many and many a night I heard confessions, mm-hmm. endless, countless nights. Um, and then you'd you would do so you go to the dance, Brian, and whatever you got up to, you, you tell you confess to Father Brian the way on the way out, and you were grand. Well, I think that you used to confess <laughs> before they did it just to be safe. <laughs> 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 but you know there were yeah. people and there were sort of innocent times there was nothing oppressive about it to be honest you know, yeah. people people claimed their own freedom and I saw that and I said to myself these guys in Paris Priest think they're in control of things they're only they're not even in control of their own house because the people did what they want yeah and put on a show for the Paris Priest and that was the level of stuff I could see that the people did what they want anyway yeah, the, 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 some the priests down the country and in, in, in some priests uh, were actually ruling the dance uh, with, with an iron rod. Well, uh, where you see the, initially the very first there was no halls built. The only people who built halls initially were the parishes, so there was no place to play only in the parish hall. Yeah, uh, and for years and years, and that's how the Reynolds ballrooms um, and associated ballrooms they they broke away from the church as it were. And it all happened, as Albert often told me, um, the parish priest was needed to build, uh, renovate the church, and he wanted money. Albert was working for the CIE in Ruski at the time. And he said, would you help me get a few carnivals run till we get money to do the church? So Albert run the carnivals for him. And he said, it's the only priest in Ireland who ever said to him, I have enough money, don't run anymore. Nobody ever, priests ever said, they have enough money. <laughs> and he said, would you mind if I ran them? And he said, well, run away. And that's where... And hence the Reynolds Ballrooms. Yeah. Jim and Albert, that's where that started. And they went on to make a fortune. And they went on to make several fortunes yeah. indeed. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but the big thing was, all of a sudden, the priests weren't in charge of the house. Yeah. 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 And so the break came there. Because of that, uh, but when the priests were running the halls, they were—they were, they, they were, you know, literally. I mean, I remember the Clippers telling me they were in Kerry one night uh, uh, playing, and 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 the, the people were coming into the hall and, and running, riding up the centre of the hall and parking their bicycles behind the stage, and that was understandable. But he said there was a priest sitting uh, on a chair at the side of the stage where they were playing. And when they'd do a set, set was three numbers, the priest would run out, stop, 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 wait two minutes. And he'd look at the watch, two, two minutes. Two minutes. You have to give the patients time to cool before you start the next one. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'd say, go, 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 go. <laughs> and the whole bloody was two minutes between sets so that people wouldn't get too aroused. Yeah, would calm down. <laughs> calm down. Uh, <laughs> allegedly, people who at various stages used to, some of the parish priests used to go, and when they'd be close dancing, they'd put the walking stick down between them. Yeah. And say, leave room for the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that that happened more regularly than you think, actually. There's really? one great yeah. story. I won't tell you about it. I won't tell you the name of the town, please. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I won't tell you who told me either, uh, uh, because that would tell you the name of the town. Okay. Uh, but there was a town in Ireland in which there were four bands based. Um, and... Uh, North of Dublin, we'd say, that's all I'll tell you. Uh, and But the priest was deathly against dances. And even then, the rule in the diocese was that it was a mortal sin to go to a dance that didn't end at 12 o'clock. 
it wouldn't matter if you left it at 12 o'clock, you still had committed mortal sin by going to a dance that, that didn't end at 12 o'clock. Right. So um, the, the, this, they said, we're in our hometown, Father, we'd love to play a dance. Would you not let us play a dance? And he said, no, no, under no circumstances. You're, it's nothing only a place, an occasion of sin. I'm not letting you dance in any hall. But you'd get money, it doesn't matter. So eventually, after a lot of... One Sunday, they were all in Mass. And he said, by the way, he said, next Sunday, there will be a dance in the parish hall and name in the band will play at it, right? It will start at half past eight on the dot. And it will end at half past 11 so that everybody is out of the hall before midnight on Sunday night. They couldn't get over this. And then he said, and the following week, there'll be one for the men. <laughs> True story. Really? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. The show bands, uh, many of them came to your ordination. ordination yeah. yeah. They weren't, it was on a Saturday before this, uh, before Christmas, so they're not all were free, but yeah. Brian Call and, and Brendan Boyer and Larry, some of the Mighty Avens did come yeah. uh, to it uh, that, that day as well. And we had a great day at it. And Eddie Masterson. And made course, a Eddie, Eddie Masterson was at the, Eddie Masterson was there. And the bishop, the bishop, one of the, he, the bishop that was there hated dancing. Um, uh, I was the last. He ordained me and retired. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, so the priest of the diocese said, "Well, at least you did one good thing for us. Uh, you got him to retire." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, but anyway, he was there, and Eddie gets up and makes the thing. He said, "And what does it profit a man to gain the whole world?" Quoting scripture, you see. Uh, and now oh, the bishop was delighted with this man quoting scripture, you see. And then he says, and suffer the loss of never hearing Big Tom sing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably didn't go down well. <laughs> didn't go down well, but sure, I was ordained at that stage. <laughs> others, um, you, you went on to, um, well, you, be, you went on from the show, you became sort of unofficial as a showbiz chaplain. Yes, I, I suppose I was never appointed to be the showbiz, but it, it, in fact I was the showbiz and the chaplain. Mm. The only thing I was ever appointed as the official chaplain to uh, was the circuses oh, and really? the travelling shows because um, there was a world conference of um, uh, travelling shows and entertainment circuses here in Ireland and Pope John Paul was a big circus man and used to invite a circus in every year to perform in the Vatican Forum. And he had written to the Archbishop of Dublin uh, to ensure that there was a chaplain appointed to this World Congress and that a mass was offered at this and that there was a priest available for him. So Dermot Ryan, who had no interest in any of this, said, Sheer man will do. And he appointed me as the official chaplain to circuses and show showmen's entertainment. So you really were officially I was, I was yeah. an official chaplain to that already. Yeah. So um, uh, that's the only official one I ever had. But you know, the, it was by word of mouth. If anybody wanted to get married at that stage, I did it. Baptisms, I did it. Then it came marrying daughters, grand. Now, sadly, it's burying them. Yeah. Uh, but through the decades, um, if they were in trouble. They would go to Father Brian. I'm sure you have a million stories that will never be told because of yeah, the never be told. Yeah, 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 yeah. A million stories that will never be told. But you know, they were basically good people, innocent people, travelling on the road, horrible life. Anyways, it, it is a horrible life. Horrible isn't it? life. Horrible life at that time. It's six, seven nights in the road. Six. Yeah. Generally, generally speaking, six nights. Uh, an easy week could be five nights. Very uh, tough on families. Up and down the road, up and down the country. Dean Pitney once said that his idea of hell would be an eternity travelling with the same band. Yeah, yeah. To an everlasting gig. Right, yeah, yeah. That would yeah. be hell. It's very tough on, on relationships and marriages. Very tough, and, very tough on the guys themselves, sitting in a van uh, all the time with the same guys, some of them smoking, some of them drinking, some of them doing all sorts of things. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and you're not able to say anything up and down the road. You get into a band in a van in Oman, you go to Inishkeen and Cork, you know, and back up the next day, maybe, you know, get a few, you couldn't be paid for it, you know, you couldn't possibly be paid for it. Roads yeah. were bad, no heating in the van. It was a terrible life. Yeah. There was no glamour to it, even though people thought there was glamour to it. Yeah. You went on then to um, to, to meet and get to know some of Nashville's American, 
American country music's biggest icon. Yes, I did. It was easier to do that. It's not as easy now, as you know yourself. It's yeah. not as easy to make make contact and friendliness. At that time, it was a more open place. Um, and the first time we went to Nashville was 1972, uh, October 1972. Um, the, the country music thing was starting here. Brian Call was big. Ray Lynham was big. And they were both extraordinarily good country singers in different styles. Um, uh, Larry was becoming big at that stage. Two seventy two was big. It very not was was very big at that stage. Larry Cunningham. Uh, Larry Cunningham. Um, and uh, we were beginning to make our own records here, and release records with McClurkin um, was well on the road. And Sean Riley was a great member of that uh, too. So a whole a group of us went to Nashville uh, on a promotional thing, really. Um, um, uh, Ray Lynn and Brian Call, Larry Cunningham, Jimmy McGee. Um, Mick Clark and Sean Riley. Um, I th- think Mick O'Reardon, God be good to them. Uh, he was there too. Uh, and we landed without knowing all that much about anything. We, and the hotel we're staying in happened to have Waylon Jennings and his wife, Jesse Coulter. And they saw these vagrant Irish guys running around. And they came over and he talked to us and he brought us around to all these shows. There was shows at nine o'clock in the morning. George Jones and... Um, you know, Tammy Wynette, each, each record company, there was Columbia, there was RCA, there was Universal, there was about five major labels and each of them had a roster of big stars and each of them over two days put on a, a breakfast or a dinner or a lunch, you know, uh, in this, um, in a big basketball place downtown Nashville um, and they, they put on these shows, incredible. You saw everybody. I met Charlie Pride that time. That was the first time I met him. There was so many um, uh, bodyguards around him uh, because he didn't know whether he was going to be attacked by his own people for singing white music or by white people uh, by or by uh, white people for singing their music. He had a tough time at the he start of his career. Yeah. Very, very tough yeah. time. Uh, only in later life did he talk to me about it. He talked to me quite a lot about it the last time I was talking to him. Well, second last time I think I was talking to him here. And we had a long night session about it. And uh, I, I was quite shocked. I thought I knew everything, but I was mm. very, very shocked at how hard he had it. You know, he, he was pulled off every single show couldn't play, couldn't go to his in Texas his own state and he was in they couldn't play at all in Texas uh, because no black people were allowed into the place um, and the man that stood up for him uh, he told me that it was Willie Nelson a major man Waylon Jennings said too uh, and they said if Charlie Pride's not allowed to play we're not playing. Yeah, a row of policemen on the front of the show when, when he came out. Yeah, yeah. On the stage, because they didn't know he was going to be shot, attacked or, or yeah. by white people, because black people are allowed. And um, he told me also that, that night he went out and he he just said to him, I know you don't like the colour of my skin, but judge me on the quality of my voice. Very good, yeah. After two songs, the policemen disappeared. Yeah, yeah. And they attacked him. Yeah. But he went to a restaurant. He was invited, the whole cast was invited to a restaurant. And the restaurant said, no, I'm afraid I can't let you in here. No blacks allowed. Right, yeah. We have a room in at the back for blacks, which we can't let you in here. If, if people looked into this restaurant and saw a black man eating with white people, my restaurant would be burned. What humans do to each other, it's just... It's just amazing, amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, um, and those are, you know, he overcame that and then so he became the greatest legend yeah. of them all. Much loved. Oh, oh, 
utterly Adored. respected. Yeah. I mean, one of them, you know, and, and, and they all were very nice. And, I, you know, I got to know Cash was lovely. And I was very great at Cash and Charlie. I mean, the two was closest to. Uh, in the early days, you could interview Dolly and the early, I interviewed all of them in the early days yeah. um, and you know yourself once you've interviewed them you get fed up interviewing them after a while there's nothing more <laughs> there's no novelty there's no it? novelty in it yeah. um, and so I don't bother me head now and Johnny Cash you, you had a great relationship I see a photograph in the book uh, in your autobiography um, of uh, he's trying on the priest collar <laughs> he, he, he was up for a bit of fun uh, Johnny was Johnny yeah. was and he was very serious about his religion yeah you see um, Johnny's first wife was a Catholic and, and his children were Catholic and he was always aware of that and he would always talk to me about that, you know, uh, quite seriously about that. June was lovely, I have to say, now she was lovely too uh, and it was a lovely marriage they had. <clears throat> but he, he would always, before the show, he would, uh, with, if the family was there, the girls, her sisters, um, uh, the Carters, if they were there, he'd bring me in and they'd gather around and he'd want to have a prayer before he'd go on stage. Okay, yeah. Uh, to that, do everything is right. And you would uh, do that? I would do that for them all the time. Yeah. And <clears throat> remember one night in, uh, well, a couple of nights, it was one night, um, Chris was over here, Chris Gustafsson, and was, I think it was in, I think it was in, do you remember there used to be shows in the RDS, there's a hall in the RDS, a library thing in the RDS, that there used to be a lot of shows and Dolly Parton was there and Jim Aiken used to run a lot of shows there. Chris was there this time and he was, and Jim Aiken came racing and running out to me and he said, would you come back in for that man? I want you to, I want here quick. So I went into the backstage, he says, we're after getting very bad news. I don't know what we're going to do. The word has come through that Chris Christopherson's daughter uh, has been in a car smash and she's not going to live. Um, so I had to go around and tell him. You had to break the news to him. Jim with me. Yeah, he broke the news to him. That is it. Uh, so he said he was he was he didn't want to he couldn't go on stage. He said he just couldn't because he thought just yeah. yeah. I ran him to the airport and he got out and uh, Jim had made the arrangements of course, but I left him at the airport and he wasn't he wasn't bits that. Mm. But ten years later he was in with Johnny Cash. Uh, they did a tour together. <clears throat> And they only did one or two dates. One of them was the Oasis and Carrick McCross. And uh, I went up to it and um, Johnny called me in and I had a great chat and and, and Chris came in and I, I said to him, you know, the last night I met you, Chris, was the night you wouldn't remember, but it was the night that your daughter was, oh, you know, we, we, I remember, so was it you? He said, yes, it was me. And he said, hold on a minute. So he went out and he came back and he brought, he says, this is the daughter. Wow. She's now his manager. My God. Yeah. Uh, she was then his manager. Yes, and, uh, yeah, and she had survived. She had survived. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's a great song by Christopherson called Jody and the Kid. Okay. That's yeah. the kid. Oh, that's the kid. Okay. That's the kid he's talking about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, so that night we had a little prayer service and Thanksgiving in, in a ballroom. And there, was no, there was no big deal about it, you know. It was mm. just, he said a few thoughts and they said a prayer. And I'm sure, I'm not sure if Chris believes in much, to be honest, um, uh, because he's a big thinker. And William Blake's poetry, I don't think he believes in the kind of God that we would accept. He has, a, 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 like William Blake, the poet, he has a spiritual God, you know, that's mm. not specifically... Uh, talked about but it's a god of goodness a god of justice uh, and he was very very strong in that he would not necessarily have a Christian god uh, but um, Hank Snow and Johnny Cash brought him to um, a revivalist meeting one night and he got very upset about it and that's why he wrote Why Me Lord right yeah, uh, because of that, if you look at the words, that is fantastic. Yeah. So it was what, always what, a good what, man. What's the main line in in, in that? Why me, Lord? Why, why, what have I ever done that deserves even one uh, of the favors you've shown? I think I think that's the word of it. I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Garth Brooks. Now, <laughs> the famous Garth. Uh, uh, he's made an incredible connection with Ireland and we won't go into all the, all the controversy over the, the uh, cancelled shows. He's coming back to Ireland. We're talking before he comes to Ireland, but you were there in the 90s uh, with him. Yeah, you got to know him. I wouldn't say got to know him, but I did interview him and and, and, and I liked him, you know, I liked him a lot even then. I was there the night he got um, in Nashville the, the award for... Uh, 
Entertainer of the Year, which is the big award in the, in the, in the country music. And it's the famous night where President George Bush was in the audience and George Jones was in the audience and George Strait was in the audience. You see, and Garth's Garth's, uh, acknowledgement speech of it, he said, well, he said, um, there are three men by the name of George here tonight. Um, Mr. President, I'm so delighted you're here and thank you very much for honouring us by your presence. And Mr. Strait, he said, you have been one of the great influences to me, but he said, God to me is George Jones. A god in, in country music, ah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and that's that was the way he phrased it that night. Yeah, and and George Bush, the president, didn't take any any, any offense. Any, he didn't yeah. take any insult of it at all. Yeah, but that was, that was he just got it right. You know, he just got it right. But he did tell me that night when I did an interview with him that day, and he did tell me that uh, he, he, his mother was from Ireland, um, and he uh, he I asked him, did he know her his name? But she said generations back she was a McElroy her family were McElroys and I wondered was it an E-L or an I-L because it makes a difference in the north uh, yes uh, which is I and which is E yeah um, um, makes some difference so he said I-L um, so I said most likely Northern Ireland then and he said his mother would love to go to Ireland his mother would she was Colleen Carl, I think his mother was. She's a famous country singer. Um, and um, uh, not a famous country singer, mm-hmm. a recorded country singer. Uh, and she was a big influence on him uh, and, and getting him to sing in music. And he said, I, you know, I, he said, I have just this image of Ireland. And he did say that night on, on tape to me that, you know, I, 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 in honour of my mother, uh, if I tour outside uh, um, America, uh, I think the first country I go to will be Ireland in honour of my mother. Little did he know the impact he was going to make. Like in he this came country. and eight nights with eight thousand each in yeah. the Point Theatre, yeah. as it was then. Yeah, eight nights and eight eight. I mean, imagine a guy coming from America and doing sixty four thousand people. Yeah, and never was heard of, and you know, and just an incredible version. Yeah, you said mass for, for was it for Garth? Uh, or his crew, or uh, no, no? Not, not, not sure. I said for Garth. I can't remember where they did. I did. I did a lot of them, but I know the one, the biggest ones was U two, uh, in in um, <clears throat> Jim Aiken's concerts in Crow Park were something to behold, and they were hugely organised. And there were days putting cover down on the sacred sod before that, you know, and and making sure nothing happened. It and usually the the, the uh, stage was at over at the what is it, the old Husey stand, which is still the Husey stand, in there. And then everybody was out from that. And Neil Diamond was there and it did it for them as well. Neil Diamond and, and it was a hot June night, not a hot August night uh, yeah. for him. Beautiful, beautiful, absolutely. And he came out with a hurley uh, and a slither in, in Crow Park. And he started the show by... Hitting the hurley like a good golfer would, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. uh, straight out into the crowd. A crow park, Neil Diamond. Yeah. What a night that was! It was yeah. a fantastic night. It was a great show, man. You know, yeah. you know, place for. And with you two, and it was another big, big night. Um, and and um, Jim had always insisted that Jim Aiken had always insisted that if there was a staff involved putting up um, scaffolding or whatever it was. Uh, that they might not get the mass this Sunday. So I had to say a mass on a Saturday or even a Friday, but over the weekend, whenever it was suitable. So underneath the scaffolding, uh, I, I said masses after mass after mass. Uh, for years. For, for the for the whoever came. Yeah. Uh, and and there were, you know, they would have been full. They would have been full. Yeah. No, they were the longest masses in the world. Yeah. And there was no collection. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And, yeah. and, and and the sermon, you know, I'm only joking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, they were friendly, and they'd be standing around, and you know, the effort was made, and. 
that was Ireland then. Yes. You know, it was very much, it wasn't, again, it wasn't imposed, but the mass was available so that that nobody could would be held sin, uh, responsible for not attending a mass yeah. and that the work wouldn't keep somebody back. Did did that for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, were these Irish crew or a combination of... Um, mostly Irish crew, mostly, mostly Irish crew. Irish crew. Yeah. But there were, inevitably people would gather around it because it was so unusual. Yeah, I know. Sometimes the bands would be tuning up, and they'd they'd come out to watch this unusual spectacle of you know me just no cathedral, no nothing, small table standing up, everybody else standing up. It was like a foreign missions mass. You know what I mean? You know that that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, all the glamour was taken out of it. And perhaps it was more real for that. Yeah, yeah. Before we finish, there's a few, there's a few people I'd like to uh, talk about. Uh, one being um, Daniel O'Donnell, because you were there. You wrote the very first article in the Sunday World mm. um, uh, in 1986. I've, I've, I've always had a great time for yeah. Daniel. As you, you spotted, I spotted Daniel immediately. Actually, yeah. um, you know, um, he. he <clears throat> I didn't. I didn't know. I knew Margot so well and some of the family so well over years. But I used to notice this very well-dressed young fellow. That's what they And he was who was a very good dancer, attending dances in the Irish club and played that. And he would dance all night uh, with. There was a group of them used to come. I said, "Who the heck is that young fellow?" He was just different to look at, even dancing in the hall. Yes. And then uh, Sean Riley said to me, uh, "You know, there's, there's Margot's brother is 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 is, and Mick Clark is thinking of taking him on. You know, uh, have you seen him?" And I said, "No," but I said, I, he, "He's in the Irish club tonight, I think." And I said, would you win? Are you going in? I said, I'd win, yeah. So I didn't watch them, you know. Uh, and he was very good. And, and suddenly I discovered that this young dancer... Was Daniel O'Donnell. Was Daniel O'Donnell, you know. And, and, and as you could spot immediately, he had what Margot had and more. Margot was a, uh, the big tom of... The, the lady big tom of Irish music. It didn't matter what Margot did, she could make a connection with the audience yeah. as Tom could. You know, they didn't have to change or be different. And Daniel had that too, but he had slightly more polish, you know what I mean? Mm. Even then, as a, with a, as he would say himself, a bad band. So I, I really took, uh, you know, I just, if you see some young one like that coming through, you want to do it. Like John yeah. Susan McCann before that, you could spot that she was good and you do all your power to help him. Nathan and, and Derek Ryan and Lisa uh, and Johnny Brady, you'd do the same for all of those. You'd, you'd go to their show, Kieran McGilligan, you'd go and launch them on the night, you know, and just yes. to give them a, a good break. I've done that down the years and have a reasonable good nose for what will go a reasonably good nose for it and nobody knows what will go or not go but I have a reasonably good you can see it in a person uh, and you know you could definitely see it hand over fist in Daniel hand yeah. over fist in Daniel he was just it you know he, he just had it he, you knew from watching Joe Dolan you know what, what it takes you knew from watching the Larrys the Brendan Byers the the Brendan O'Brien of the Dixies, you know, the, all those phenomenal singers, they just had a distinct voice mm. and a distinct personality. They were yeah. imitating nobody. Yeah. And they were themselves. And when they were communicating, it was themselves they were communicating. That's the essence of show business. And you have to love people and and, and they all of those people that you mentioned, you know, they they were they they love the connection with, with the other people. With the people, exactly. Yeah, you know, oh, the re- phenomenal connection. I, there was better singers, uh, uh, but there weren't better entertainers. Yeah, uh, and and so that, that's it's a, it's a package, and you have a nose. I have a nose for it, or an idea of what goes. I mean, when I saw Nathan the first night, I knew this guy was entirely different as well. Yeah, uh, and it's yeah. the same with him. He was very, very different. Yeah. Uh, um, and Daniel I, has been a phenomenal success, and, and 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 carries it lightly. And he's been, you know, he's been a phenomenal ambassador right across the world. Still is. Uh, he's, you know, it's just his name is just his name is respect, good entertainment, uh, a genuine bloke. Yeah. Uh, 
And that that was 1985, 86 I'm talking about. So it's what yeah uh, that up yeah you know yeah. and and i i came up to i came up to after a few shows and seeing how big he was i came up to bill stewart in in, in the sunday world uh, in, in mm-hmm. uh, and i said bill there's one guy we should have to we should have to this guy is going to be huge he's going to be bigger than tom he's going to be bigger than anything this guy uh, and Bill and his usual well if you say that Padre it must be right <laughs> you know and yeah. all of a sudden uh, you know we got Daniel to we wrote a I wrote a page, uh, page spread on Daniel yeah. and after that then Daniel began to write himself yeah he's got a column there for forever for, for, well, for yeah. about, since 92 I think at least then yeah, yeah. 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 86 I think was the first one I wrote now. yeah it was mm-hmm. absolutely um Big Tom, we've lost some legends. Uh, big Big Tom being one, and it, it was phenomenal. But what he went on to do, you know, uh, the Galtymore Cricklewood having the record there eight thousand people, yeah, thousand people, um, and so Gareth on. Brooks, we're talking about him, and yeah, it's the same crowd. Yeah, uh, four and a half thousand at the at the Royal Ballroom in Castle Castlebar on Stevens's night. Uh, but when you first interviewed him, he he was notoriously shy, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, his, did his manager do all the talking? Yeah, that was that was. I was I was. We were posted down to a little place called Colony in County Sligo on the top of a hill. Mm. Um, I think they were hoping we'd leave our class because we were a bit of rebels. <laughs> but they put us on top of this godforsaken place in, in the top of a hill. And uh, the ba- I was writing for this dancing news at the time, and um, uh, Jimmy Malloy said, "If I get big Tom to go up to you and when you do an interview with him, so Tom came up." And I brought him up to my room, sneaked him up to my room. Uh, and John McCormick, wonderful man, came with him. He was a manager. And Tom was so shy. But I think he was half as shy. This priest guy, what, what, you know, I, I think it was a lot of stuff in a strange place. Uh, and uh, um, I put him in a seat and I had a little tape recorder with a, uh, cassette and those I think And I said, and, um, you know, how, how, how are things going, Tom? Rightly. Uh, <laughs> it, what he means is it was going great we're a number one and John McCormick answered the question you see fleshed so that, it out fleshed it out and then what's your new single well we're not sure oh the new single John <laughs> and I have a I've got a fantastic interview with Tom saying about six sentences <laughs> and John McCormick saying the rest of it for him because <laughs> uh, Tom was just too too, too shy. shy but we remained ever yeah. after that we were friends no matter where we met yeah and as as time went on he was still a shy man was he, he? Was, but, but he was he, 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 he loosened out a great he, he was did. great fun God, yeah. Tom was great fun and he was great at telling stories and and, and was draw you know the famous one about Joe and himself don't yeah. you yes in, 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 in Cricklewood um um uh Tom was sitting at a, a bar uh, in the Galtimore uh, uh, and quietly with his back to everybody having a quiet drink and Joe Dolan uh, comes in and puts his hands over Tom's eyes and saying, For Rose and And Tom's answer was, It's you, it's you, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> so quick. <laughs> so, so quick, quick. so quick. Yeah. Um, Joe, um, you know what? What a legend that man! And uh, you had you had it. You were very close to him, uh, right Joe, up to the end. Right up to the end. Yeah, I was with him a couple of nights before he died, um, and I was talking to him the day the day before he died. Actually, on the phone, um, Joe, I, I I get it hard. at nearly, I'd, you know, Joe and Bretton Boyer were two wonderful, uh, very close. They were, they were great guys, but they were massive stars. Uh, but they were very honest guys, mm. uh, you know, uh, on it. Uh, and Joe, being an old bachelor like myself. Um, a lot of the time and he, you know he, he, when I was in Mount Argus he knew I had a tough time in Mount Argus raising money and all of that he would do anything for you he'd come over and he'd chat to you in the daytime and he'd say he'd ring you up sometimes at night and he'd say uh, do you want to do you want to go out for a Chinese you know the two of us would go out to a Chinese place and in Oregon and we'd have a chain and chat and, and he was a very deep guy Joe you knew him too mm. and you know that Joe was he Joe could be flippant bright brilliant sharp-witted bad-tempered if he needed to be but Joe beneath it all was a searching guy uh, who knew that there was a there was a, there was a level of intellectual decency about Joe 
that nobody ever saw really. And I was very privileged to see that. And he could talk very deeply about theology, where the church was going, a sermon that he had heard, what it meant and what it didn't mean. He would have no problem talking about that, you know. Uh, And he could talk about it without any embarrassment and meaning it. He had thought about it. He was a very, very different, but what an artist. Oh, I never saw Joe give a bad show. There's no show like a Joe show. Yeah. And, but he was, he gave himself, even when he was in physical pain, still didn't matter. Everybody went home from that not knowing that Joe had a pain or ache. Yes. And if they came in with a pain or ache, it was gone by the time Joe was finished too. Yeah. He was he was a great artist, not really respected enough here. I mean, he was an international star. Tom Jones said quite recently, I saw it in a remember Tom Jones said quite recently, the only one who ever feared that could knock him off his perch was Joe Dolan. And he said if his records had been chosen properly, he would have. Part of his problem as well, wasn't it? Yes, sir. She was number one in Israel. Number South Africa was wonderful. I went to South Africa one day to work uh, for a couple of months, and I was going down a street in in Johannesburg, and I turned round, and there was Joe in front of me, two arms out like this, and a white suit. But it was a cutout. Okay. <laughs> the record shop had the cutout of Joe Dolan yeah. in a white suit standing on the, on, on the pavement in, in, in South Africa. Yeah. And it was, it was like being at home, you know. Yeah. He was very big in South Africa. You've seen, a, we finished on this, Brian, we, you, you, you've seen a lot of, you know, people come and go, major artists, uh, uh, and a lot of people suffer heartache. But the biggest trauma and 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 the biggest uh, tragedy was the Miami show band and you were you had to do uh, you were involved in that mm-hmm. in, in in the funerals and you had to deal with the, the families that was a horrendous time it, it was a horrendous time because it was unexpected because we were all mourning anyway yeah the previous Thursday night had been in the national ballroom and the, the big eight had just come home from America uh, and Tom Dunphy came in um, to the to the to the national ballroom, and and he came over and had a cup of coffee with me, and Ray Lynham was playing, and he said, Brian, you know, he says I've met all the big stars in America. He says that man on the stage, I, he's fantastic. He says, and I've never met him. Could you could you introduce me to him, Tom Dunphy, coming from Las Vegas? Could you introduce me to Ray Lynham? And I called Ray down at the stage and uh, introduced him, and Tom said, wait and had a chat afterwards. You know, that's Thursday night, the next. Next Tuesday night, he was going to a dance in Donegal, married on low dance. It was up, up in County Leeds. I don't know what happened to the car. We did a skid anyway, and Tom was killed, stone dead, Tuesday night. Two nights later in the Miami. So I had five funerals in one week. My God. The day the music died. Yeah. And that yeah. week was, was certainly it. Was that the end of the showband era, really, was it? Uh, well, it was the end of that. It wasn't, it wasn't the end of showbands. It was the end of the innocence of showbands. Okay. Yeah. Up until then, nobody ever, you know, bands played to mixed audiences. Mm. You know, if they went to Rodison Hall, they played God Save the Queen. If they went to Catholic Hall, they played the Soldier's Song. If they went to a hall that was neither, they played nothing. Only their theme tune. Mm. And that was the way it was. But they all, everybody danced together and so forth and and mixed together and I mean I could to this day uh, I could go to the Ulster Hall in Belfast and you know people from East Belfast had come over to talk to me about show bands and about Brenda Byrne about Joe Dolan and about all of the rest and there was still and about the dances they went to dancing was huge in Belfast even in the middle of the trouble big you know Ulster Hall uh, second night of Christmas Floral Hall Oh, there was just massive, massive dancing throughout even the worst parts of Northern Ireland, Catholic Brothers, there was big dances to bands. After that, nobody was sure where to go. And right. many bands didn't go up. And 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 what became the great dancing complex that the North was gradually faded because it, it, no bands would go to it, you know. Yeah. Did you ever go, by the way, did you ever go see Brendan Boyer in Las Vegas? I did. 
I did home many times. I saw him to him. I saw Brenton many times in Las Vegas. And, um, there were a couple of the girls were married, and Brenton asked me to come and do the weddings for them, and so forth. The dancers and all of that. And um, uh, it was always over there with Brendan and just coming up now. Brendan's remains are coming home on the second of August, on the third of August, to Waterford. I hope Waterford turn out and give him the kind of um, funeral he deserves. He's a free man of Waterford. Uh, yeah. himself and Val Dunigan received it the same night I would love to think that you know that Waterford will come out and 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 give Brendan uh, show how how full of pride they were for him as he was for them yeah. you know he was phenomenal wasn't he, he? he was he was he was Brendan had a trained voice he, and he was the shyest man you talk about big Tom being shy Brendan was even shyer very intelligent man too um was um, addicted to alcohol for a long time but gave it up for about 35 years before he died uh, and and doing that he had you know he had done the AA process mm-hmm. and he didn't he wasn't a dry drunk he was somebody who had come to terms with what caused him to drink in the first place is his yeah. own particular shyness and, yeah. and, and lack of self, self-awareness self and self-worth. Uh, and, and he built on that and could speak on that uh, with great with great dignity all the way through. He's just was a, a phenomenal artist, you know. Don't forget that Brendan Boyer, um, me telling you about that van that he had with the Mercedes van. Uh, there's a link with that, you know, because in 1962, the year I entered, <laughs> nothing to do with it, that, but that year, there used to be an, an, a British award for the best dance band of the year, which was called the Carl Allen Award. And in 1962, the Royal Showmen were given that honour. An Irish band in 1962, they were given that honour, being the best dance band in Britain. And they were doing a tour as part of that promotion after that show. One of the places they went to was Liverpool. And one of the places they went to, there was a group of young fellas who were the relief band. And the relief band were Lennon, McCartney, the, <laughs> and the Beatles. The support band to the, the Royal. The support band to the Royal. And they, they, they came in outside and Brendan went out and here they were walking around the same van and said, I wonder would we ever be rich enough to get a van like that? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what they said to Brendan and Tom. Yeah. Would we ever be rich enough? And, yeah. and, they said, and they said, did you listen to us? And Brendan, being Brendan, said, yes, I was listening. And he said, what do you think? Um, um, and, and he said, um, well, um, Brendan said, I, I liked you a lot, but those songs that, that you said you wrote yourself, they were better than anything else you did. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing yeah. insight for a man to that. Yeah. He spotted that. Uh, and, and so the Beatles supported him. And, and, and Elvis and, Presley and Elvis came in. went to see him Elvis Pre- in Las Vegas. Elvis Presley came twice to see him in Las Vegas. Once he went in, and he had heard about this guy imitating him. Because Brian Br- 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 used to do an Elvis, an Elvis section. Uh, and and he'd imitate Elvis, and, you know, laughingly imitate Elvis. Yeah. Uh, and Elvis came in in disguise to see him and had a stick in his hand. And he went up and he hit Brendan's leg. Brendan didn't know who it was. And, 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 and walked out again. And came back the next night without a disguise. Yeah. And only then did he discover who was in. Yeah. Uh, and, and invited them up to his point, uh, um, apartment. Apartment. Uh, what do you call the top place of an hotel? Yeah. Uh, the suite. The, the suite, the hotel, penthouse suite. Uh, the Penthouse Suite and Hotel and gave a party for them. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. that's incredible. Oh, absolutely incredible, and, yeah. You know, the Elvis Presley and the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, and, and Brandon would sit down there and butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. He'd never tell you that. You'd have to drag it out of him. Yeah, very modest. Very, very modest, 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 modest man. Yeah. Modest man. When, when Tom died, a lot of Brandon died too. Tom and Brandon were very close. Yeah. Very, very close. Yeah, he was, he was quite... Take, quite torn up over. No, Tom well, I'm not sure that he ever got yes, over it. Actually, yeah. I'm not sure that he ever yeah. never had he never had the confidence to get over it yeah. again. Uh, but uh, but they were a great pair. Oh. You, you have a line in your book, uh, Brian, in your autobiography. Uh, that leaves a heartache no one can heal. Love leaves a memory no one can steal. And that says it sums up all the, the fabulous people that it does. It sums it it up. It just we lost up all, and that is it. You know, you know, uh, and 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 you know, Brendan Kennelly used to say, 
uh, memory was most important. He said, um, he wrote a poem in memory of his father because he said um, that as long as a person's memory remains alive, that person remains alive. Uh, and and that's that's what he said so as long as we keep the memory alive they're still alive and Brandon Kennelly told me one time he said I was talking to him about that poem Uh, and he said well Brian you should know what that poem means and I said I don't know I've used it an awful lot Brandon but uh, I I suspect I'm not getting half enough out of it but he says when you say mass each day what do you say do you not say do this in memory of me so he says, I'm not the first to say it. Right, right. As long as a person's memory is alive, yeah, that person is alive. Yeah. Well, all of those people we've spoken of, they'll, they'll never be forgotten. And you've had the most interesting life and met incredible people. And, you know, I'm saying this to Brice, you, you, you probably feel blessed. <laughs> oh, I, do, I, do, I do feel blessed, all right. But I mean, people said, people sometimes think that there's only famous people that I met, you know. Yeah. Actually, if you were to ask me, who was the most impressive person I ever met? It would be a young woman, very shortly after I started writing for the Sunday World, who came up to my dogs one day, expecting a baby, and she had been beaten up by her boyfriend the night before. And I got her to a hospital. The baby was born, and the limbs of the baby were broken because of the beating she got. And we got her, I, I mentioned that in, in Sunday World, and we, we got her set up and she was the most impressive lady I ever met. And she was the lady that the Helping Hand Fund was started for. And look at how many thousands of people it helped afterwards. Yeah, this was the Sunday World Helping, Sunday World Helping Hand, Hand, Hand Fund that yeah. we ran for many, many years. And Michelle yeah. McCormick and Brian Kelly and myself mainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you've had a, a long association with Sunday World. It's been a privilege to... Uh, call your friend ah well and, um, the privilege works both ways Eddie yeah, keep um, up the good work good old friends um, we might get a few more years out of show business we might and we might get a few more years out of the Sunday world too I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we should take a good picture today because it'll look well in the memoriam cards <laughs> <laughs> Brian it's been a pleasure pleasure Eddie it always is anytime This has been My Country Life, a Sunday World podcast. This episode was produced by Ian Malini, and the theme music is Rose Gold Renegades by Jesse Frisell. If you enjoy this episode, do consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eddie Rowley, and this is My Country Life.